0: This morning's scripture is from Acts chapter 28, verses 17 to 31, Acts 28, 17 to 31. I just want to note that this is the very last chapter of Acts. There are no cha- chapters left. But it's for those of you who have been with us on this journey through Acts, it's, it's been a wonderful journey. Please read with me. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen.
1: We are finally at the end of our two year long series in the book of Acts. Uh, I have mixed feelings there, but I want I to share uh, my feelings now about that. You know, when we first began uh, this series, my main hope was that God would use this series to better equip us to live as faithful Christians in a world that has become much more hostile to God's word. You know, to be perfectly honest, I am very concerned about what will unfold over the next few years, because there will be much more pressure placed on Christians to compromise their beliefs and conform to the patterns of this world. Should I be concerned? Should I be concerned about us? Maybe some of you are thinking, oh, Pastor Paul, right? You don't need to worry about us. You know that we're not like the rest of the world. (laughs) Now, if that's what you're thinking, I want you to know that virtually everyone who has responded to me like that over my you know, lifetime has been humbled because at some point they learned that they're actually not very strong after all. So that's not a very good response. Even my, uh, one of my kids responded to me that way this past week. And I had to tell them, "Uh, don't give me that. (laughs) Don't think too highly of yourself. But even if I or you manage to withstand the mounting cultural pressure of our time, there's a more challenging question of, will our children be able to do the same The call to live by God's unchanging word in this ever-changing world, it really does carry much more meaning to me now than ever before because I'm not only concerned about my own children, but I'm concerned about your children as well. I'm concerned about our children. I'm concerned about the next several generations. That's how I've I've been trained to think as a pastor. And it doesn't encourage me at all, Pastor Jacob kind of reminds our staff, and it's not an encouraging thing because he reminds us that Gen Z's primary influence and source of information is what? You guys know? TikTok. (laughs) That's how they learn everything from A to Z. It's TikTok. That's where they turn to. Of course, our only hope is in the Lord but we are definitely given a responsibility in all of this which is something i trust that you've been learning with me as we've been studying through this book together right this is a book about the acts of the holy spirit which means that god was the sovereign orchestrator of every detail of every story we covered over the past 2 years but Each of Jesus' disciples, see, they still played a very vital role, right? The Apostle Paul was not some passive character in any of these stories, right? He knew his responsibility, and he faithfully carried them out, and we are called to do the same, brothers and sisters. Today's outline is in two parts. Part one I want to elaborate on this idea that the book of Acts practically fleshes out for us what it means to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It practically fleshes that out for us. It gives us example after example, what that looks like in real life. And part two, the book of Acts ends by reminding us that this is an unfinished story, but that the spread of the gospel and the expansion of God's kingdom, it cannot be ultimately stopped. And so there's no reason to grow discouraged. There's reason for hope. So part one. The book of Acts practically fleshes out for us what it means to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, uh, I I took some time this past week to sit down and come up with some helpful words, like a summary. If I were to summarize this book, the book that we studied over the past year, if I were to summarize this book, how would I do so? And I, I came up with these two different summaries, okay? We can say that the book of Acts is a story of how God used a motley crew of individuals to essentially turn the world upside down through the message of the resurrected Christ. That's my first summary. How's that? It's Pretty decent? Another way to put it would be like this. The book of Acts is a story of ordinary people demonstrating an extraordinary faith in their risen Savior. That's my shorter version. This is really an important book for us because it's a book about how real people practically lived out their faith in light of who Jesus is. You know, it was practically helpful, was it not, to, to read about why Paul chose to confront Peter? And wasn't it helpful to kind of see what first century hypocrisy looked like? It was also eye-opening to see how a strong, disagreement between paul and his older mentor barnabas actually led to the multiplication of god's mission work i mean these are all very practical matters and it was helpful helpful to kind of see how all that kind of panned out and as we studied paul's interaction with the greeks at the areopagus also known as mars hill we learned what it means to contextualize the gospel message and contrary to what many Christians believe today, you know, contextualizing, we learned, it doesn't mean making the gospel the least offensive thing you can possibly make it to be. But it did mean being sure that your message was being fully comprehended by your audience, whether they ended up liking you or not. That's what we see saw Paul doing over and over again. And so through this Two-year-long series, I grew a a newfound appreciation for the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned to you before. You know, before this series, I had, of course, a a high respect for Paul. I mean, my parents named me after this man, after all. (laughs) But through this series, I've been able to grow a genuine affection and a brotherly bond with him. That's how I really feel. (laughs) So when I see him in heaven one day, I, I plan to give him a big thank you and a big warm hug. I'm going to worship Jesus first, of course. I'll, I'll, I'll seek out Jesus first, okay, and then, I'll, and then I'll look for Paul. But I have a hunch that Paul's going to be right next to Jesus. All right? Now, I did want to highlight something for, for our passage today, so let me go ahead and do that for us now. Okay? So look at our text. Uh, after the shipwreck incident, which led to this unplanned lengthy stay at an island called Malta, we see Paul finally in Rome where he knew that God wanted him to be before he was taken home to be with the Lord. And once again, I must tell you that, that Paul surprises us, because it only took him three days. I mean, why not take a whole week off, you know, just finish a long journey. He's beaten, beaten down. He's a prisoner. Why not take a, just a you know, lengthier vacation time, so to speak? But no, it took him... Three days, right, before deciding to initiate another headache of a meeting with the local Jewish leaders. I mean, the word indefatigable describes the Apostle Paul very well. I believe that my goal in 2023 is to live with at least half amount of the stamina that I see Paul living with. I may have to join my wife at Orange Theory one day, you know, (laughs) But then I'd be the only guy there, so never mind. I'll I'll think of uh, some other alternative. But looking at our passage, you know, uh, in this initial meeting, he wasn't given much time, but he did manage to explain why he was in Rome, and he described some of the details of his case. And in verse 21, after Paul shared uh, briefly, the Jewish leaders replied with, You know, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers here uh, have spoken any evil about you, but we want to give you a lengthier hearing. We want to hear you out more. And so it says, we desire to hear from you, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And so they've heard some negative things about what Paul is sharing, so they wanted to hear him out. They, They wanted to give him a fair hearing. And so verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging because he was under house arrest, and more people came out, it says, in greater numbers. And so from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them. He was trying to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. So you can think of this as a one-day conference, right, at the place where Paul was under house arrest. And and these Jews were were really wanting to give them a fair hearing. And Paul shared everything he wanted to share with them regarding who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God was like. And and verse 24, it says, After Paul shared, over the course of the entire day, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Okay, Some were convinced, others disbelieved disbelieved. And you've, you've heard me say this before, but I want you to notice again that this is a very normal phenomenon, okay? Even for arguably the greatest missionary who ever lived, think about it. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. So, so there's no, really no need for us to be discouraged when we share God's Word, and some are convinced but others disbelieve, right? You can't be so afraid of rejection, right? What we see here should be our most optimistic expectation whenever we share anything from God's Word, right? Some will be convinced. Others will be rejecting your message. They will disbelieve. But pay pay close attention to verse 25 as well because it should, at the very least, stop you from being so quick to judge certain Christians as being too harsh whenever they speak words that have this effect of turning off the audience they're trying to reach. You know, some, we, we kind of categorize some people to be like, oh, they, they kind of lack tact, right? They, they, they say words that sort of turn people off. Well, look here again. Arguably the greatest missionary who ever lived. Verse 25 says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed, so they left, after Paul had made one statement. In other words, Paul made a statement that completely turned them off. It angered them. And he said this, The Holy Spirit was right, In saying to your fathers, to Isaiah the prophet, he's essentially quoting Old Testament scripture here. But these are words of not encouragement, but of essentially judgment. Prophecy being fulfilled. As Paul is witnessing these Jews rejecting the message of the gospel. He says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive.'" For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, and it goes on. And then at the very end, Paul speaks the following words that earlier in Acts caused literally a mob to rise up against him. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. Basically, you rejected the message, so I'm going to the Gentiles now. They will listen. Many chapters earlier, a riot, a riot took place because Paul spoke those words. Why is Paul doing this? <laughs> you know, the, the Jewish community in Rome must have been more well-behaved because Paul's word did not lead to a riot, although I have no doubt that they were angered by his comments. But they left. They just left. I mean, didn't Paul learn his lesson from before? Well, he clearly believed, brothers and sisters, that it was necessary to communicate God's word to his Jewish brothers in all of its fullness, okay, including the language of judgment placed upon those who would reject the message of Christ, which is why he does it repeatedly. It wasn't a one-time thing. He does it repeatedly with his Jewish brothers at the risk of his own life because he knew that it wasn't his message he was trying to communicate. It was a message of Christ given to him. And he was called to be a faithful witness, a messenger, an ambassador. Brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is what it looks like. Jesus is Lord. I mean, the Jewish leaders had some authority during that time. And Caesar had far more authority over everyone. But, you see, Jesus is Lord over all. That's one of the main themes running through all of Scripture, not just the book of Acts, but it's through the book of Acts where we get to see how Christians are to respond when the authority of Caesar clashes with the authority of Jesus. Right? Between the two, I want to ask you who wins out in your life, in your heart? Who wins out? From whom do you receive your marching orders, brothers and sisters? Over the past two years, I hope it's become clear to you that we are called to submit to our earthly authorities, but only up to a certain point, because we give our ultimate allegiance to King Jesus, because Jesus is greater than Caesar. Amen? Please, members of Cornerstone, and also all you who are visiting, please Consider this. But if your members are cornerstone, please promise that you will never compromise on this most basic principle. And understand that if you repeatedly compromise on this, it will be impossible for me or any of our pastors to consider you a true believer. You've been compromised. Okay. Of course, there's grace for mistakes here and there, We're all fearful of what's happening. You can kind of cave under pressure. But if you repeatedly cave and you give your soul to Caesar instead of Jesus, then what what do you expect us to conclude? Jesus is greater than Caesar. You know, it's sad that I have to mention this, but I, I believe I still have to given how confused Christians have become these days, but this principle was never intended to simply remain as your private personal belief. In other words, you cannot say that you believe, for instance, that racism is wrong personally, while supporting racist policies in the public square. You cannot say that you believe that sex trafficking is evil personally while keeping a neutral voice about it in the public arena. And maybe you don't have any issues with that. It doesn't seem like that many people have issues with that. But in the same way, you cannot say that you believe that homosexuality or transgenderism is wrong and evil while supporting policies that promote such things. And for some reason, people have a big big problem with that in our day. That's when they say, well, I believe this in private, personally, but, you know, who am I to... (laughs) You see the hypocrisy there? Jesus is greater than Caesar means that his word reveals to us what is good, true, and beautiful. And his truth is what we are called to promote in every sphere of life. You know, when we did not know any better, when we did not know the Lord, that's when we freely promoted sin. But we know him now we know who the lord is and we're called to confidently proclaim now the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light we have a new identity a new mission a new purpose new affections new priorities you know if you if you read the apostle paul's speech right it, it sounds very harsh to our modern ears, does it not? Honestly, it sounds harsh to me, too. Like, well, I would, I would never do that. I would never, like, say words that I know are going to, like, anger people in person. I might do it online. <laughs> That's easy, right? See, everyone does that. But in person, you know? But what does this teach us? I mean, does it teach us that something is wrong with the Apostle Paul? Or do they teach us that something must be wrong about us? You know, I, I don't think my sermons or my speeches, because <laughs> whenever I, I guess I'm not preaching, I, I'm also doing some other things, uh, communicating. But I don't think my, my speech has ever been particularly harsh. That's my personal assessment. But I know what my reputation is in the area. Okay. I'm not I'm not dumb. People tell me, right? And even my staff sometimes they get worried. Right. They try to muzzle me. I'm just kidding. They never they never done they never done that explicitly. Maybe Xiang sometimes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but honestly, I'm just joking, really. Honestly, every time I plainly explain. What the Bible teaches, to me, it's like plain as day. I'm just telling what the Bible says. That's when people get the most nervous. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Do you not want me to teach from Scripture? I don't get it. I am an ambassador for Christ. And guess what? So are you. And if you are, then you too need to learn how to speak clearly about the truths of God. Do not speak like the politicians of our day. Do not speak like the slick, double-tongued lawyers of our day. They use a lot of words, but it's usually impossible to pin down what they're exactly saying. That's not how messengers of the gospel are called to speak, brothers and sisters. We are called to speak with clarity and boldness, and conviction. I know it's easier said than done. How can we find the courage to speak the truth in such a hostile world and endure the various trials that are bound to come our way? I am tempted as well to remain silent out of fear. I'm a very fearful person, believe it or not. But whenever I'm... paralyzed by fear, it helps me to remember that Jesus suffered much for my sake. He was faithful till the end. It helps to remember whenever I'm paralyzed by fear that Jesus faced the ultimate rejection so that I could be accepted by God. C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China and India, he also was active in Africa, once said, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That, that's the right perspective to have. Let me try to help you appreciate God's grace, because I know that sometimes the thought of God's grace becomes stale in our hearts. Let me try to help you increase your love for the Lord once again, I, uh, I heard this illustration many years ago. I, I think it's helpful. Some of you may have heard it, but it's still, it usually, it still hits me for some reason. <laughs> I have a soft spot for this. Just, uh, I guess, the relationship between, oh, you'll see, you'll see what I mean, okay? And so, this, I guess this is a, this is like a, a commercial, um, probably like Visa or MasterCard, I'm guessing, or American Express, I'm one of those. But. But it's a Korean commercial, okay, and, and uh, the way it's set up is a child, a, a young boy, he wanted to buy new sneakers, but he just didn't have enough money to buy a pair, and so, he, he, you know, he was thinking of ways to get more money, and so the kid, he writes a list of things claiming that his mom owes him such and such, and so he, he took a piece of paper, he titled it, Mom's Debt his son. And on that list, he said, for taking out the trash, right? 1,000 won, right? 1,001. One is the monetary unit in Korea, right? And then second, for cleaning my room, 1,000 won, right? Another 1,001. The miscellaneous tasks I've done, another 1,000 won. So total amount mom owes me, some 3, won, 3,001. And he puts that paper in the envelope and Uh, He puts the envelope on the table, and he goes to school, hoping that when he returns that his mom would have placed some money in that envelope to give to him. And uh, he returns. Lo and behold, the money is there. He finds in the envelope, but he also finds a list from his mom. It's the mom's list, right? Titled, Son's Debt to Mom. (laughs) Countless hours of singing son to sleep. How much? Free. Nursing my son back to health when he was sick. Free. Buying my son's clothes to wear and toys to play with. That too is free. Hosting my son's birthday parties with his closest friends. Free. Decorating my son's room. Free. My love for my son. Free total amount it's free it's all free and the son reads this and he realizes something very important and he puts the money back in the envelope and he returns it to his mom and from that point on he does all of his house chores for free with a newfound appreciation for what he has received Brothers and sisters, if that's true, when it comes to our relationship with God, I want to challenge all of you. Why do we complain so much? Why are we so unhappy with our lives? Brothers and sisters, what happened to the joy that we all used to have for just being able to play a small invisible role in the church, right? It didn't matter if anyone recognized you. Remember those times? Because you did it out of a love for your Savior. What happened to us? We lost sight of what grace is. In this way, the book of Acts is a very practical book because it shows to us what people are like when they fall in love with Jesus. Part two, the book of Acts ends by reminding us that this is an unfinished story. It's an unfinished story. And this gospel and kingdom expansion, it cannot be stopped. Here's how the book of Acts ends. Verse 30, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how the book ends. The last verse of the book of Acts. Is that satisfying of you? (laughs) Is that a satisfying ending? Many people who have studied this book have felt robbed of a good ending. Because this final chapter has such an anticlimactic feel to it. Does it not? It's like the book ends on a minor chord, for those of you who know music. It leaves us in suspense. There's no resolution, really. Right? That's what it feels like. like. Why doesn't Luke tell us more about what happens to our beloved Paul? I mean, doesn't he know that I fell in love with Paul over these past few months? I want to know more about Paul. What happens to the hero of the story? But wait. Wait. He's actually not the hero of the story. You kind of remember now. He's he's not the hero of the story. And maybe that's one of the points that Luke is trying to make, that this book is really not about Paul in the end, but that it's always been about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was just one of its messengers. And so in the end, Paul can be forgotten. Brothers, sisters, it's not that our lives don't matter. God, of course, prepares a place for all those who are his. That's his promise to us. But the point is that we exist to play a humble role in God's story of redemption, in which the Son of God is the hero. He is the hero. And so it's okay for us to be forgotten by the world, as long as we know that God remembers us in the end. That's why there's a quote by Nikolaus Zinzendorf that is often shared among pastors that goes like this. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Right? Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's a life that I'm trying to pursue, by the way. I'm going to preach as much as I can. I'm going to die And I'm perfectly fine being forgotten. So please pray that God would keep me humble to the very end of my life. Now, for those of you who are so curious (laughs) as to what happened to Paul toward the end of his life, let me sum it up this way. History tells us that after two years of living under house arrest, Paul was actually released to freely share the gospel again. And and, uh, scholars speculate that it's because his accusers never actually showed up to present their case before Caesar, so all charges had to be dropped. So he was free to go. But once Nero decided to go nuclear against Christians during his later years, like Nero became this madman, essentially, became very uh, violent and cruel toward Christians and the church, once that happened, Paul, who became you know even more famous, he was captured again, and that's when he was sentenced to death, and ultimately freed to be with his Lord in heaven. And so that that's that's the closure that you get. Okay, <laughs> that's that's all the closure you'll get regarding Paul. Paul is with Jesus. He's fine. He's where he always wanted it to be. Right. One final thing I wanted to share uh, before we conclude this series. Another reason uh, the book of Acts leaves us in suspense without much closure is because this story is not yet done. It's an unfinished story, right? In a real sense, we're living out the next chapter in this incredible story. I'm sure many of you heard uh, the ministry named Acts 29 Ministries. It's like, wait a second, I thought there were only 28 chapters. Yeah, you're right but they, you know, they believe what I'm just telling you. They they believe that we're living out, we're called to live out the next chapter in Acts, and thus Acts 29 ministries. And so they have this network of uh, pastors and churches that have this very strong uh, evangelistic zeal. And until King Jesus returns, the acts of the Holy Spirit still continues on, is our belief. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's true. As a church commits yourself to faithfully testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples of all nations, we are to be viewed as active players in this unfolding drama. We're living out the next chapter. Who can stop this work? No one can because God is behind it ultimately. Notice that Luke ends his book by telling us that the gospel of Christ was being boldly proclaimed without any hindrance. He chooses to end the book with those words, that this gospel is being boldly proclaimed without any hindrance. Hindrance. Think about that, okay? He's basically saying, if you, like, consider all that he's written prior, he's saying, look at, look at how much the world has thrown at us. Look at how much we suffered. Look at all the, the authorities in the world, all the Jewish leaders and, you know, the Caesar's officials. Look at what they've had us go through. But you see, in the end, you may kill its messengers, but you cannot kill the gospel because the gospel always find a way. That's how he concludes the book. Many of you have uh, probably seen the, the movie Jurassic Park. Uh, not my favorite series, but I, I heard a pastor use this illustration that uh, really stuck with me, and he was trying to illustrate just how Uh, unstoppable, right, the gospel actually is. And uh, there was a scene in Jurassic Park uh, where Jeff Goldblum is sort of the star, okay? You like Jeff Goldblum? I think he's a funny character. Uh, And they're sort of like, he's trying to understand how these scientists were able to create Jurassic Park and what their plan was and how is it possible that these dinosaurs can't breed. And so they're having this discussion. And uh, one scientist is like, actually, they, they can't breed in the wild. Population control is one of the uh, main security precautions uh, that we've installed, you know, uh, in, in the park. And there's, there's no unauthorized breeding in Jurassic Park. Well, how do you know that they can't breed? Well, because all animals in Jurassic Park are female. We've engineered them that way. But again, how do you know they're all female? Does somebody go out into the park and pull up the dinosaur skirts? No, we control, we control their chromosome. It's really not that difficult. All vertebrate embryos are inherently female anyway. Uh, they just require an extra hormone given at the right developmental stage to make them male. We simply deny them that. Uh, John, the, the kind of control you're attempting, simply, it, it's not possible. If there is one thing the history of evolution has taught us is that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories and crashes through barriers, painfully, maybe even dangerously, but... Uh, well, there it is. Right? You guys remember that <laughs> scene? And the scientist retorts back by saying, you're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? And Jeff Goldman responds with, no, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. <laughs> life finds a way. And the point, of course, I'm trying to make is that the gospel, brothers and sisters, always finds a way because the source of its power is none other than God, and that should comfort us greatly and encourage us to not live in fear. So as you live out this unfinished story, do not be like Demos, who is remembered as one who abandoned the faith because he fell in love with the world, 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul remembers him well. Don't be like Alexander the coppersmith who did the apostle Paul great harm as one who strongly opposed his message, 2 Timothy 4.14. Paul remembers him very well too. You don't want to be like these characters in the story. Rather, be the character in the story who endures through every trial by humbly relying upon the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Be that character. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for the book of Acts and what has been a two-year-long experience that has reshaped our priorities and challenged us to be more kingdom-minded in how we think about our culture. How we thank you that though the world is ever-changing, your word never does. It is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Without it, we would inevitably drift and conform to the patterns of this world. With it, we firmly anchor our souls to it, trusting that you will bring us safely home. In the meantime, we ask for your Holy Spirit to continue his work in history and through each of us that we may humbly play a role in your unfolding story of redemption. As we entrust our lives to you, we ask for you to use them for your good and noble purposes. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand together.